0: Let's pray and ask God to help us understand His Word and pray that He'll use His Word to comfort us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise You that You have given us the Bible. We thank You that it teaches us the truth about Jesus and the truth about what it means to trust in Him. We thank You that it teaches us how to live lives pleasing to You. Please help us to understand Your Word this morning and please Give us a right understanding of what life should be like, that we may stand for fast as Christians and finally enter your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Life uh, isn't easy. Right now, many, if not most of us, are struggling. Perhaps we're mourning the loss of loved ones, as, uh, as Matt told us. I don't know if you noticed that second song written by Rob Smith. It was written just after his dad died, and he was talking about the profound sense of loss and darkness that he was feeling, and praying that he'd be able to stand firm and keep trusting, and praying that Jesus would come back. We mourn the loss of loved ones too, don't we? And we we struggle with sickness. We struggle with depression, struggle with young families, struggle with tough jobs. And then there's the frustration at ourselves. Frustration that we can't overcome that besetting sin, that we can't seem to get our relationships right. We've got all these good intentions about how we're going to make our marriage work or get on with our children or handle stuff better at work, but it keeps being tough. We're struggling. And meanwhile, you've got all these Christians out there who are telling us it shouldn't be happening. They're telling us we shouldn't be struggling. If we were proper Christians, we wouldn't be suffering. We wouldn't be struggling. You've got people telling us that Christianity should be solving all our problems here and now and that there's something wrong with our faith. You've got people who tell you if you've got enough faith you'll be healed of all your diseases. You've got people who tell you that we can completely overcome sin here and now and and be sinless and perfect. There are other Christians who say that if you just trust in God and give to church, you'll get the blessings of prosperity and comfort and God will make you wealthy. Got other Christians who say that if we Christians can just get our act together and live in the power of the Spirit, then we can change our world and make our world a place place of peace and happiness and justice. People are making all these great claims for Christianity and then there's our lives. And the big problem is all these high claims don't match our experience of reality. The fact is, life is full of suffering and frustration. Our lives are full of sin and failure and guilt and pain and suffering and death. A while ago I visited a person in hospital, she was crippled, she was very sad but more than that she was angry, she felt ripped off by what she had been taught. She said to me, in church I kept reading stories about how Jesus came to people and said, get up and walk and they did. She said to me, well where is he now? He's no good to me now is he? So much for all your Christianity, the whole thing is a waste of time. What should it feel like to be a Christian here and now? What should we expect? Should we expect health and wealth and happiness and peace? Should we expect to be satisfied and fulfilled? Should we expect that we won't be troubled by sin anymore, that it'll be easy to obey God, that suddenly our relationships will all be fixed up and sorted out? Is Christianity going to fix all our problems here and now? Or on the other hand, is Christianity irrelevant? to life here and now? Is it just pie in the sky when you die by and by? Should we expect that life will be exactly the same as as, as for non-Christians? Is being a Christian going to make any difference at all? Well, Last week in the first part of chapter 8 of Romans we saw some of the great benefits of being a Christian, of, of being in the new covenant, of serving God in the new way of the Spirit. As Christians we saw that God's law has been fulfilled for us by Jesus. God gave him as a sin offering. He's paid the full penalty for our disobedience to the law. He's lived a perfect life. Now the law is fulfilled for us and so now there is no condemnation for us. More than that, we saw that we've been given the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who's working in us to help us obey God, the Spirit who is working in us so that we can call on God as our Father. The spirit who's giving us life now and who will raise us from the dead as he raised Jesus from the dead. The spirit who shows us that we are heirs of the new heaven and the new earth. So far in Romans chapter 8 things are looking very positive. It's a really positive, encouraging picture as we've come out of the the struggles of the old covenant in the second half of chapter 7 with the wanting to do what what, what pleases God but not being able to do it, as we've come into this new life in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, we've seen great benefits. We've seen that being a Christian does make a difference. But then in verse 17 of chapter 8 we saw just a hint that life in the Spirit is not going to be all beer and skittles. It's not going to solve all our problems here and now. Paul says we're following Christ into glory, that's true. But notice the pathway he shows us in verse 17. We're also following Jesus' pathway and that was a pathway of suffering into glory. Romans chapter 8 and verse 17. Now if we are children, and the Spirit tells us we are children, If we are children then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. As Christians our present experience is not the glory we are destined for. Our present experience will include suffering. That's the Bible's picture. And so that's what Paul goes on to discuss in this next section of Romans chapter 8. He's talking about life and the Spirit, but he's talking about life and the Spirit in this world, being a Christian in this world. He's talking about what to expect now. In verse 18 he talks about our present and our future. He says, in the present we suffer, but we've got this hope of glory. We've got the hope of a glory that will make the pain of life here on earth make it seem like nothing. Nothing. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can you see glory is coming? But it's not yet. And we need to get very clear what happens when. We need to be very clear what to expect. We can't afford to be confused about this. We don't want to expect the blessings of heaven here on earth because we're bound to be disappointed. And so Paul goes on in the next few verses to show how the essence of life in the spirit here and now is hope. Not just an I hope so kind of a hope, a sure hope, a certain hope, but still a hope. We're not in glory yet. What we've got is hope. He starts off by talking about our fallen world. As Christians, we're still living in this world, aren't we? And this is a world under the judgement of God. Way back in the beginning, we saw it in our first reading, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They were thrown out of the Garden of Eden and at that time, creation itself was reshaped. The ground was cursed. God remodelled the world, so to speak, so to, to make it a place where sinners can live. God subjected the creation to frustration so that it could accommodate sinful people. Verse 19. 19 The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Sin has had consequences for the whole of creation. God subjected creation to frustration, and that's still the way things are. We're not living in Eden. We're not living in heaven, we're living in this world under the curse, under the judgement of God. But Paul tells us there is hope. There is hope for creation. And the hope of creation is tied to our hope. When God brings his people into eternal life, when he gives us resurrection, he's actually going to transform the whole of creation. Our sin had consequences for creation and our salvation will have consequences for creation as well. Creation is going to be transformed into a new heaven and a new earth. And so end of verse 20, creation was subjected to frustration in hope. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And so creation is living in hope, waiting, groaning, waiting for us to come to our glory, waiting for our salvation to be completed so it too can be transformed. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Do you see what Paul's saying here? We're in a fallen world, a world of decay, a world of death, a world that stings us and bites us and burns us and drowns us and buries us. We're not in the Garden of Eden. We're in a world made for sinners, a frustrated world. And so there's no point expecting glory now. There's no point hopping into a lion's den and thinking it's all going to be okay. Glory is to come, but it's not yet. Glory is to come and the whole of creation will be transformed by it. The day is coming when you'll be able to hop into a lion's den and it'll be fine. The day is coming when things won't eat you or bite you or sting you. The whole of creation is going to be transformed, but it's not now. It's still a future hope for creation and for us. For now, like with the rest of creation, Christians will suffer. And Paul then goes on to talk about what it feels like to be a spirit-led person in this fallen world. Uh, To be in the time before we get resurrected and brought into glory, but yet given the Holy Spirit. And he says, he says it's frustrating. He says we're groaning as well. In verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. If you think about it you can see why this is, why it's it's so frustrating to be a Christian. I mean, now we know this world isn't all there is. Now we know this isn't the way it's meant to be. Now we know a time is coming when we'll be resurrected and we won't have this frail sick body, when we won't be struggling with sin. Now we know a time is coming when we won't have the pain of suffering. Now we know a time is coming when, when death will be taken away forever. Before you might have just accepted things the way they are. As a non-Christian you might have just got used to this world. You might have accepted your sin. You might have resigned yourself to suffering and pain. It's like being born in a prison. If you never know there's an outside world, if you've never seen a flower you think life in prison is normal. You get used to it. As ordinary people, we might think this world is normal. But when we trust in Jesus, when we when we get that first taste of heaven in the Holy Spirit, suddenly we glimpse a flower. We see a butterfly. Suddenly we see what we're missing. Suddenly we see how abnormal Sin is. We see how abnormal suffering is. We see how how gross it is that people die. That's great that we see that. But it's also frustrating. And so we groan. We long for heaven. We long to be resurrected. We long to to have Jesus come back and take us out of the darkness. We're not resurrected yet. We don't have it all yet. What the Holy Spirit gives us now is hope. And Paul goes on to say, hope by its very nature means you haven't got what you hope for. So what you need to do is be patient. Verse 24. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, We wait for it patiently. The essence of life in the Spirit in this world is hope. We don't have everything yet, we're not resurrected yet, we're not in glory yet. Now in this fallen world we sin and suffer and die. But then we don't have nothing as Christians either, do we? We've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the first taste of heaven and with the first taste of heaven we've got the sure hope that God's going to bring on the rest, that glory is coming. The Spirit gives us hope. And in the same way as he gives us hope to help us endure, in the next section we see that the Holy Spirit also prays for us. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray. He prays prayers for us that are in accordance with God's will. He prays prayers that God will answer for us. Verse 26 In the same way, The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I often don't know what to pray for in the face of suffering and in lots of other circumstances, when I'm facing a choice, when I'm facing a decision, when I'm facing temptation, there's this great temptation in front of me. What am I going to pray? So I can't see into the future. I don't know what the best choice is to make and I'm weak and I'm sinful and I don't even necessarily want what the best thing is. And so I don't know what to pray for. And chances are I could pray for the wrong thing. And that's a bit of a worry, don't you think? I mean, what if I pray for the wrong thing? What, what, what if I, I mess it up because of my sin and my weakness? What if I mess up so much that I end up falling away? What if I pray for the wrong thing and, and God gives it to me and I end up in hell? What if in my sinfulness and weakness my prayers actually lead me away from God? It's a worry. And that's why this is such great news. See, I might not know what to pray. I might be weak and sinful. But God's spirit in me prays for me. And God's spirit in me prays the right thing for me. He prays in accordance with God's will for me. He prays prayers that God hears and answers for my good. The Holy Spirit prays for me. The prayers I ought to pray, the prayers I need to pray if I'm going to stand firm as a Christian in all circumstances, whether I'm facing suffering or temptation or whatever else. And so that feeds back into my hope, doesn't it? It's not left up to me to make sure that I pray the right prayers to hold on as a Christian. You don't need to stress that you're not always going to pray the right thing. Jesus is praying for you at the right hand of God and more than that the Spirit is praying for you from within you God is really going to save us. He's not leaving it up to us. He's got us firmly in his hands. And so our hope is a sure hope, a certain hope. And so in the last couple of verses, Paul comes back to the the certainty of our hope as Christians. Yes, here and now we will suffer. Yes, here and now we will be frustrated. But don't no despair. God is using everything to further his purpose, his purpose to save us and to bring us to glory. God is at work in everything for our good, even in frustration, even in suffering, even in pain. Verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then Paul shows us this magnificent, unbreakable chain of salvation. From before creation, God already knew us and loved us. And so he chose us, predestined us to be his own. And so by his spirit, he called us to be Christians and made us born again. And so he justified us and pardoned us and forgave us And his purpose is to bring us to glory. His unstoppable purpose is to bring us to glory. Verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Some people call this the golden chain of salvation. And notice, if you're a Christian, most of the links are already there in place, aren't they? We've already been foreknown. We've already been predestined. We've already been called. We've already been justified. There's only one step left. We're just one step away from from glory. And nothing's going to stop God. Nothing could stop him. Nothing can stop him. If you're a Christian, you're as good as glorified. You're not glorified yet. But you're as good as glorified, it is a sure thing. Well, can you see the point of the passage? Paul is showing us what life in the Spirit, what it feels like in this world. He's showing us what to expect when. Now we live in a fallen world. Now there is sin and suffering and frustration, but now we have a sure hope. We have the taste of the Holy Spirit in us. Frustrating us, yes, but also working in us. Praying for us now. Now we know God is bringing us to glory. A glory that is going to make all our suffering seem, seem like nothing at all. And so what do we do? Verse 25, we, we wait patiently. We wait patiently. No matter what. We hold on to our hope, we fix our eyes on Jesus and we wait patiently. A couple of Thursdays Thursdays ago I got home from Bible study and uh, Carmelina was watching the footy show, as she does. Um, They had some retired footballers and they were getting them back into shape. They were all pretty overweight and stuff and they were getting them back into shape. And the guy that was training them was a bloke by the name of Rob Roland Smith. Rob Roland Smith used to be the trainer for the Parramatta Rugby League team and he used to be my PE teacher at school. A man who had uh, uh, quite an impact on my life, although his impact is fading very fast I'm finding. Uh, Anyway, uh, Rob was was putting all these old footballers through a gruelling exercise regime and you could see them struggling in terrible, terrible pain. At one point they asked uh, one of the blokes, a former Parramatta player, a guy by the name of Eric Groth, they they asked him if it brought back good memories from when Rob Roland Smith was training him at Parramatta. And you can see the the agony on his face as he's trying to lift his weight and he goes, he hasn't changed a bit, he's still a complete maniac! (laughs) It was torture. But even through all that pain, these old players patiently endured. Why? Well, glory was before them. The glory of a skinny body. And they knew their trainer was doing it for their good. They knew all the pain was to get them to their goal, to shape them. We know that in all things, God works for the good of his people. We know his great unbreakable plan to bring us to glory. We know that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And so as we suffer and as we struggle, we set our minds on the hope before us and we wait patiently. Okay, well, let's come back to the question where we started. What does it feel like to be a Christian? What does it feel like to live according to the Spirit? On the one hand, we've got to get clear that we don't want to expect too much here and now, do we? This passage makes that clear. God's plan is that we will be without sin forever. God's plan is to heal all our sicknesses. God's plan is to bring us into extraordinary prosperity. God's plan is to give us a world of justice and peace and harmony. God's plan is that there will be no No more death or sadness or mourning. Glory is coming. It is God's plan. But we're not there yet. Now we're in a fallen world, a world groaning with us. Now there is to be suffering and frustration and groaning and longing for heaven. Now there is to be that darkness. We cannot expect the glory of heaven here on earth. The Bible doesn't let us do that. And the people who say we can expect the glory of heaven on here on earth are setting us up for a fall. Let me teach you a couple of big words. Words that describe the theological error of people who say you can expect to be without sin or sickness or poverty here on earth. They're on your outline, although I think my spell check made it into three words. Um, Over-realised eschatology. Over-realised eschatology, a couple of big words for you. Eschatology is talking about things that happen at the end, the stuff that will happen when Jesus returns and brings in the new heaven and new earth. Eschatology, talking about the end things. And over means you're expecting too much of the end things now. You're realising too much of what is to come. That's the big problem with these kinds of teaching you can impress people with these two words if you want to talk to them about it, whether it be teaching about healing or sinless perfection or the prosperity gospel or the utopian dream, they suffer from over-realised eschatology. They're expecting things on earth that are only promised for heaven. You don't want to fall into that error because we're bound to be disappointed and the Bible just doesn't let us fall into that error if we read it carefully. But on the other hand, we don't want to expect too little here and now either. We don't want to underrealize our eschatology either because right now we Christians have got some magnificent things, things that, should, things that should help us here and now, things that should strengthen us and change us here and now. We've been loved since before the world was made. We've been chosen to be God's people. God has given Jesus to die for us, so we are justified and pardoned. There is now no condemnation for you and for me. God has given us his Holy Spirit. We've got already the first taste of heaven. The Spirit is at work in us, giving us hope, assuring us that God is our Father, assuring us of our future inheritance. And the Spirit is praying for us. Praying the prayers that we ought to pray but can't manage. Praying prayers that God is listening to and answering. And so right now we Christians have got a powerful hope. Uh, God loves us. God is at work in the bad things to bring us to glory. And that glory will make our present suffering seem like nothing at all. So what does it feel like to be a Christian? What does it feel like to live according to the Spirit Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is frustration. Yes, there is darkness. Yes, there is longing. Don't be surprised by any of that. We're following the path of Jesus himself. But it really must make a difference here and now. It really should fill us with joy here and now. At the same time, by God's spirit, we should be confident, convinced that we are going to glory. We're following Jesus through his suffering into glory. And so here and now, we should joyfully fix our eyes on Jesus with a deep and profound joy even in the tough times. We should joyfully fix our eyes on Jesus, joyfully by the power of the Spirit serve our loving Father and wait with confident, patient hope. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we can call you Father, that we know the work of your Spirit in us, giving us a taste of heaven, giving us the sure hope of glory that is before us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will so fill us with your Spirit that we can be confident, patient and joyful, continuing to fix our eyes on Christ in all the circumstances of our lives. And we pray that that same Spirit would raise us to life as he raised Jesus to life, and that we will rejoice in your glory forever. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.